0: Wicked Cool. Feature alert. Hey there, podcast fans. Thanks for listening. Now, you can also reach out and send me a text message. On every episode at the top of the show notes, you'll see a link that says, Send us a text message. Simply click it, write something super nice and sweet, and away we go. Also remember to please subscribe, share this podcast with a friend by telling them about it, And leave us a positive review, whether it's on Apple, Spotify, your favorite podcast streaming service, or even on our website at www.afraidofnothingpodcast.com.
1: You wake up to a pitch black bedroom. You cannot move. A nefarious black shadow begins to walk slowly, ominously towards your bed. You try to scream, but nothing comes out. Has this ever happened to you? If it has, you're not alone. Online statistics estimate anywhere from 17 to 50% of the population has reported experienced sleep paralysis at least once in their lifetime. Most people describe the experience as terrifying. They attribute it to some sort of paranormal or demonic experience. Aliens, demons, watchers, shadow people. Most of those who suffered through sleep paralysis really want to know, what is it really? Why are these entities targeting me, and how can I stop it? And perhaps most disturbing, what have these entities been doing to me before I woke up paralyzed? In a
0: world where nothing is known, Nothing is certain. Reality is not real. Wake, Wake up! up! Be afraid of nothing. I'm Bob Heskey. Robert.
2: The host with the ghost.
0: This is my podcast. Based on my paranormal documentary, Afraid of Nothing. Each episode, we talk to people who see life and the afterlife through a different lens. Join me. Who is this large man? And what's he doing in our bedroom? As we lift the veil and open our minds to see beyond our eyes lie, this is Afraid of Nothing. Rusty. I am here with an expert on a subject called sleep paralysis that goes way beyond what I even realized was associated with this. Her name is Vicki Joy Anderson. She has written a tremendous book called They Only Come Out at Night, Exposing the Dark Weapon of Sleep Paralysis. Vicki Joy, welcome to the show.
2: Hey, thanks for having me. Been looking forward to this.
0: Yeah, me too. We've been having some technical difficulties, and it's kind of funny. It's uh, certain guests I have that. I don't know. I wonder if it's a paranormal thing or if it's just tech, but we'll we'll give it a shot, and we'll roll with it, and then uh, we'll make it work one way or another. So away we go. You started having experiences with sleep paralysis at a rather young age, like uh, two or three, I believe. So how did you even express what you were going through at such a young age?
2: Yeah, well... I I think I actually did a pretty good job considering I was a tot. But when I was two years old, this is a hazy memory, meaning I'm not sure if it was connected with the sleep paralysis yet or not. But when I was around two years old, I remember telling my mom one night that I was afraid to go to bed. I was afraid of the dark. I didn't want to be left alone. And the only reason I even remember this is because there's a funny little antidote, you know, kind of the kids say the darndest thing sort of thing with it she told me that I didn't have to be afraid because the angels were watching over me. And I'm a two-year-old kid. I don't know what an angel is. So I'm like, what's that? And, you know, she explained it to me in two-year-old terms. And so she failed to give me several key pieces of data. So she just said (laughs) they're, they're big, they're bright, and they're everywhere is all she told me. And so she left the room and I'm like, well, I don't see anything big and bright and everywhere in my bedroom. And so I decided to investigate and I got up and I looked out the window And there were these massive streetlights going all the way up and down my street. And I'm like, well, they're big and they're bright and they're everywhere. So that must be the angels. And there they are parked out all the way up and down the road. So I guess mom's right. So I do kind of wonder if maybe that was indicative of when it started. Because ironically, at the same time, my brother, who was two years older than I, at the same same house and at the same period of time, my brother was having severe night terrors and sleepwalking episodes. And so it wasn't until I was about four years old living in another state that I can tell you clearly was my very first classic sleep paralysis episode. And that I remember very clearly.
0: And throughout your lifetime, how often did you have them and, and what prompted you to do your research?
2: Yeah, I, frequent and uh frequent. and so my episodes in comparison to what some people talk about my episodes aren't as radical and terrifying you know you hear people getting dragged out of their beds and sucked into the astral and they see you know women in rocking chairs and red glowing eyes and heartbeats and all this scary spooky stuff mine were pretty anticlimactic by way of of that but where mine got difficult was the frequency, because it was, I'd have it two, three, four nights in a row, and this would go on every other week, you know, and then it would, it would kind of go away for a month or two, and then it would come back. And so I, I would think that between the time it started till I was about 40, I I probably had hundreds, if not thousands of these experiences. And even the nights that I was not having sleep paralysis, my dreams were extremely Vivid, busy, lucid, active, I would wake up very exhausted, I would have a lot of bad dreams and nightmares that weren't sleep paralysis related. And so uh, it has been something that has kind of affected my my sleeping life, pretty much for the first 40 years of my life.
0: Wow. Yeah. I, uh, did you like naps? Could you take naps during the day? I mean, when you're a young kid, you'll wake up and you'll take a nap. Were you even to get peace during naps time when you were a kid or no?
2: I I had all the energy in the world when I was a kid. You know, I, I miss those days. right? But yeah. in high school, I took lots and lots of naps, you know, and I, I would always feel guilty and bad. And, and I felt a lot of shame because I just thought I was lazy. You know, I, I was not yeah. equating this to that at all. And so I would get home from school, and I would sleep till dinnertime. And then I would stay up super late. I was always a night owl. And that's another thing that I never really equated until I started talking to other sleep paralysis sufferers that you sort of s- just stay up all night because you're kind of dreading the inevitable. And then there was a time when I got a little bit more knowledgeable on it where I thought, well, if midnight and 3 a.m. are kind of the witching hours, if I yeah. am st- if I'm still awake during those times, you can't get me because I won't be asleep. And so it, it kind of turned into this nightmare on Elm Street arm wrestling with Freddie kind of a situation where I felt like if I went to bed after 3 a.m., they wouldn't be able to to get me. So for years and years and years, I mean, I'd be up till three, four a.m. and then cr- crash.
0: <laughs> wow, you know my my last guest, a guy named Kevin Jeffers, he uh, he wrote a book called *A Pattern*, and for the past 40 years, at three o'clock every night in the morning. He does this astral projection thing and whatever, and uh, it's, yeah. just, it's like not, it just happens and he just knows it's going to happen and he just he does it and he kind of has an experience. And so, yeah, it, it's the more people I talk to, uh, this is getting close to 100 episodes. The more people I talk to, the different point of views I get, the less I think I know about the paranormal. One question that someone I recently talked to said, she she asked me or she implied that angels and demons were the same thing. And I was like, I don't think so. And she said that they, they were. She said, well, where did Satan come from? He's a fallen angel. So what are your thoughts about the differences between angels and demons and, and watchers?
2: Yeah, absolutely. This is a great question. I'm so glad you asked it because there's no greater confusion on this topic than in the church itself. And even what we're taught kind of in evangelicalism or in Christianity, the mainstream doctrine of the church is is in many cases wrong. And I have to hand it to the podcasters. I think that the the podcasting scene is really bringing this stuff into light. So if you actually go into early doctrine and apocryphal writings, the Dead Sea Scrolls, The book of Jasher, the book of Enoch, uh, the rabbinical writings, the technical, theological understanding of a demon was a disembodied spirit of the Nephilim, which were the offspring of the Watchers that came down Mount Hermon and mated with the human women. It was the disembodied spirits of the Nephilim after they were killed in the flood. So in antediluvian times, That these demons were then created. And that's why demons are terrestrial. That's why they are down here on earth. And we see, see in paranormal activity and in in ghost sightings and familiar spirits and sleep paralysis. So that the things that we're seeing when we're awake and the hat man and uh, the shadow man and the sleep paralysis entities, these are terrestrial. Uh, And it makes sense that they're terrestrial because they have mitochondria DNA, they have human maternal DNA. And so they're bound here. Whereas when you talk about a fallen angel, this an angel was something created by God in a different spiritual dimension that because of rebellion and free will chose to leave their first estate. And they came down here, but they are not human in any form. They don't have human DNA, and they are of a different class of of created beings. So the technical theological answer, even though you're not going to get this in most churches, because seminaries don't even teach this anymore. Seminaries teach that Genesis 6, the sons of, of God that mated with the daughters of men, they say that that was just the earthly progeny of Seth intermarrying with their cousins, the the sons of Cain. That's kind of the stripped of the supernatural definition that the seminaries are getting. And then the pastors are taking that into the pulpits. And there's a lot of ignorance on that. And so a true demonic entity would be a disembodied spirit of the Nephilim. And a fallen angel would be an angelic being who out of rebellion fell from the spiritual realm and that's a completely different category, even from the principalities and the archons and the rulers of darkness that are mentioned in Ephesians 6. Huh.
0: So terrestrial, do, do demons, they have DNA, do they have a soul then or not?
2: I believe that they do. Okay. I believe right. that they do.
0: Man, i tell you, if when I pass, unfortunately, it'll all happen to all of us, I... Uh... I don't think I want to be a ghost because that means all my neighbors are going to be demons and watchers and fallen <laughs> angels. Right. And it's,
2: it's going to be a Absolutely. tough neighborhood. Absolutely. There, there is so much, very, very clever subterfuge and there there's a lot of smoke and mirrors with this. And uh, this is what's unfortunate is when, When we do have the opportunity to interact with these beings, you know, when you're at a Ouija board and you're asking them questions, your information is only as accurate as, you know, they are trustworthy, correct? And so a lot of the information that we have, both inside and outside of the church, has really become misconstrued. And even all of this kind of ghosts, you know, and grandma appearing, if you study the familiars and the familiar spirits, and the shape-shifting aspects of some of these higher entities. I mean, look at it. I mean, this would sound this would have sounded ludicrous 10 years ago, even. You're telling me that there's some sort of entities that can mimic the voice and the look of a departed loved one, and they're mm-hmm. they're just kind of like a, the the classic fairy tale where the wolf dresses up like grandma and is, is just posing, right? Yeah. But if you look at it now, even man has come up with that capability we have technology oh, right, yeah you're I right mean, yeah have, so if we dumb stupid human beings can come up with apps that can do this certainly higher dimensional fallen beings can do it
0: yeah that's uh i'm gonna get to uh because i think the going could be kind of surprised where this goes with sleep paralysis but it seems like w- when you talk about sleep paralysis i mean the normal s- storyline and i've heard you on several podcasts and it's Almost every podcast that you've been on, they have shared experiences of their of their own sleep paralysis, which is very interesting how prevalent it is. So when you think of sleep paralysis, it's like you wake up, you can't move, you're frozen, and there's this hat man or dark figure either in the doorway or looking down at you with red eyes or whatever. But there's no, just no features, and it's a terrifying thing, and finally you can summon yourself out of it. But based on your book and from what I've heard on the different podcasts, that's the end of the movie. There's a lot of stuff that happens before that interactions with these beings that happens while we're asleep and we're not aware of it, correct?
2: I believe so. And it it has really taken me a long time to come to that conclusion. And part of it, I think, was that I didn't want to even consider that possibility. You know, it was it's scary enough to think that these things might've been more than a bad dream. You know, when you're a kid, you just think that they're really bad dreams. When you start to ponder that it could be a real spiritual reality, this could be your own sort of bastardized version of Jacob's ladder where some sort of realm is opening up to you while you sleep and beings are coming down. That That's enough of a stretch to go from bad dream to actually interacting and rubbing shoulders with demonic entity. So to take it a step further and say, there might be even more to these sleep paralysis experiences that I don't even remember, you got to be ready for that. And I just want listeners who, who have experienced sleep paralysis to understand that I'm not saying every single time every human being has a sleep paralysis experience, all these other things are going on as well. But what i'm starting to to realize in my research and this used to be a no-no the ufo research and the sleep paralysis research were were not allowed to join hands and exchange notes you know the ufo research was a very serious academic study and they did not like all these little sleep paralysis people tainting their their hard data right but S- same starting- thing with
0: bigfoot right same thing with bigfoot same thing exactly you know? exactly
2: yeah. yep and but what i'm beginning to realize just in retrospect you know hindsight's 2020 20, right in in hindsight of looking at my own experiences and now that i've talked to hundreds of other people who have gone through this as well i'm starting to believe and this is my own hypothesis i'm not chiseling this in stone or writing a phd dissertation on this but my my hypothesis is that sleep paralysis is also a type of an ad- abduction scenario like the ufo's and we have missing time as well But we don't recognize the missing time because when people wake up, you know, when your alarm clock goes off, if you're missing five, six, seven, eight hours of time, you don't ever question it because you went to bed. And of course, of course there's missing time. And so sleep paralysis, people don't question it. But what I'm starting to realize is that in many cases, for me personally, and I don't know that this is the case for everyone else, but for me personally, my sleep paralysis experiences would always start. Deep in an REM phase of sleep, I would be dreaming. It would be a normal dream. Everything was great. And then all of a sudden I would hear the vibrational sound, which took me many years to figure out uh, that that sound effect I heard in my ear that used to always tip me off that the dream was about to go sour. That's the actual vibrations of when your spirit is leaving the body into the astral, so to speak. And so I would hear those sound effects in the dream, and I'd have a split second where I would realize, oh, no, it's happening again. And what I'm now realizing is I believe that what was happening is I was being pulled into the astral realm. And when I would wake up, I would have fragments. I would have memories of the nightmare, but I would just think it was the bad dream. And so you just answered
0: a question that was in my mind, by the way. You said Jacob's Ladder, and I was was going to say... Is it fragmented visions of different parts mm-hmm. of your lifetime that you're seeing or, or, mm-hmm. or different alternate lifetimes? So that just answered it. So, yeah. Thank you. Yes.
2: Yeah. And there's some, I don't want to get too far off track, but there's some other stuff that I've researched out with uh, Jacob's ladder. Everybody believes that that happened in the city of Bethel, you know, which, which translates in, in Hebrew to house of God, because Jacob met Yahweh there. And so he named that city house of God, because that's where he had that encounter. But Before that, that city was named Luz, and if you look up Luz, L-U-Z, online, it'll just say it means almond tree, but if you do deeper research into the Semitic and into the ancient languages, Luz was what the ancient people called the coccyx, which is the bone at the tailbone, which is a prominent piece of anatomy that plays into yoga, tantric sex, meditation, astral projection, that is where the kundalini awakenings or the, or the awakening of the chakras or the uncoiling of the serpent, when you talk about these third eye opening pineal gland sort of experiences, the coccyx is the part of the body that is, it's the area where the serpent is coiled. And when you agitate that coccyx in the right way, it will send a shock all the way up your spine and into the pineal gland and this Serpent will uncoil and you will have this awakening and become as the god, correct? So what's interesting is the word luz actually meant coccyx. And that city was known for having Jupiter stones, which are these polished sand glass. It's basically meteors would fall to the earth. And as the meteorite hit the surface, if it had enough abrasion from heat, etc., It would get glassy, kind of like when you see uh, these beaches where all the beer bottles over time get pounded by the waves and they turn into the sea glass. Right. Yeah. So these Jupiter stones, they would go to Luds and they would lay on these Jupiter stones as pillows and they would have encounters with the spirit realm. And so what what I believe, and this is where Christians don't want to hear it because that's new age and that's bad. And Jacob was a Christian. He wouldn't have done that. And well, we know Jacob wasn't a Christian. He'd never heard of that. That was no such thing back then. He was a guy, his life, he felt like his life was endangered. His brother was going to hunt him down and get revenge. Now that his father died, he was desperate and he needed a word from God. He purposely traveled to Luz and picked out one of these rocks as a pillow. There's so much supernatural going on in the Bible that we gloss over. We just read like, okay, Jacob needed a pillow and he grabbed a rock. And so, it, interesting yeah. there.
0: Uh, yeah, um, I want to throw out a couple of things if you don't mind. Um, so one, Jacob's ladder. The movie is a story of ascension, or it's supposed to be, I guess, was so his ascension to heaven. I, I thought he's dying, yep. you know, and he's going to heaven. But with with these entities, it's like descension. I would think, you know, it's a uh, you you had mentioned rules for ghouls or whatever, the idea of let me in, right? The whole idea of vampirism and, and let me in, you have to invite me in. Well, that's what Jesus Christ says too. You know, you always hear that on the religious commercials, let me in, open your heart, let me in. So it's, it it sounds like everybody's playing from the same rule book. Can can you comment on
2: that? (laughs) I love that you have put two and two together. You've hit the nail right on the head. Everybody thinks that it's just the vampires that have this little rule where, I can't hurt you unless you invite me over the threshold of your home. And there is an amazing trilogy of books that was written back in the late 1800s by a man named Henry Clay Trumbull. And the trilogy of books is The Threshold Covenant, The Salt Covenant, and The Blood Covenant. Amazing books. He was a Christian man, but he didn't write these books from a religious perspective. They weren't theological in nature. These covenants, these blood, salt, and threshold covenants were falling out of the cultural vernacular in the early to mid-1800s. And he wanted a historical record that this is the way the whole earth used to have hospitality rights, betrothal rights. And these kind of um, salt covenants and threshold covenants and blood covenants obviously are all over the the bible and the old and new testament if you know that that's what they're talking about and so this idea that vampires need permission to come over the threshold that comes from ancient like rules for ghouls i love how you said that but it's not just I, I, I took it
0: from you actually you said that on <laughs> another podcast <laughs> sorry so i was just Man. trying to get back to you so yeah
2: I'll, well, I'm glad you brought that back to my mind. I don't even remember saying that. That's hilarious. But anyway, this isn't a rule of bad guys or a rule of vampires. This is a rule of the spirit realm. We even see it in the scriptures. There's a antidote in the New Testament where a man named Lazarus dies, and he had been mistreated on earth, and all of his adversaries who are in the, the sauna for, for eternity are like, oh, please send someone to earth to warn our, our family members. And, and what we're told in that, that anecdote is that there's a chasm set up between the terrestrial and the spiritual realm. And you're not supposed to pass back and forth between the two, which is why when the Watchers and why Lucifer left their first estate and wanted to come down here and set up kingdoms, that's why that was such a crime. They crossed that chasm. But Jesus is subject to that rule as well. And I'm not trying to get Christians or religious people hot under the collar like God. Jesus gets to set the rules. He gets to do whatever he wants. But he abides by the rules that he creates. He, he willingly abides by the rules that he sets up. And so in Revelation 3.20, when it says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door and lets me in, I will eat with him and he with me. And the eating part of that, that seems kind of weird, but that's the salt covenant part of it. The There's a threshold and a salt covenant involved in that. And so even Jesus is saying, I am not going to cross this threshold and take the reins of your heart or your soul or your life or your, your will, unless you give me the permission, unless there's an invitation. And this is something that everyone has to abide by. Now, the difference is, is that Jesus will knock, and if you say go away, he'll say okay, and he'll leave. And now, it's not to say he won't try again later, but the difference with the the fallen beings is they will find ways to trick us into giving that invitation, and that's where it gets really tricky.
0: The older I get, and I'm over 60 now, is I... I... I always think that the, maybe the meaning of life is to find truth, right? Because the whole, under, the whole underpinning of everything is free will. Like we have free will who we let in. So I, I always wonder, like, that seems to be the challenge is to find the truth with your own free will, to define what truth is. Because there's so many lies and deceits and out there that kind of hide the truth it's it's hard to find what to believe and it's just that's the challenge of being a human i think is in making your decisions you have free will but you're uneducated yes. like, what's the right path to take you know unless you have a bible or whatever is your your map
2: yeah absolutely you know what i try to tell people especially you know when we delve into what is the difference between a christian who has some sort of dream that they're flying around in heaven with the holy spirit what's the difference between that and astral projection? How do you test those spirits? And I have a lot of people on both sides of the coin coming to me and asking me that question. And and it is tricky. And to your point, I always tell people, I believe that human beings are extremely intelligent. We've, I mean, we've figured a lot of stuff out down here and we're a pretty sophisticated society. A lot of really intelligent people walk in the earth. So it's not that we're stupid or. It's like they're taking candy from babies because we're so stupid. What it is?
0: We're we're gullible. We're gullible, Vicky Joy. Right? We're we're, (laughs)
2: we we are. We and we're easily trusting. But the the analogy that I use is we've been given a plate of glass. You know, we've given like we we have like a little mirror, and that's the whole. Let's say that is representative of the whole of our spiritual knowledge. The plate of glass that we have, it's, it's true, it's real, it's pure, it, it's its in our hands, it, its it's at our disposal. But when you start going into the realms of higher created beings, angels, fallen angels, demons, spirits, whatever you want to call them, they have a three-dimensional diamond with 93 facets that they can turn around and spin and see it in its three-dimensional form we are only given one of those facets. And so it's the proverbial, we're playing checkers and they're playing 3D chess, right? So yeah, it, yeah. it's not that we're stupid. And it's not that our heart isn't in the right place because I believe that the one thing that Christians, atheists, New Agers, and people in the occult all have in common is they are genuinely seeking truth. They, they just come to different conclusions. But I think that the the seed that, is, that we have in common as humanity is we know there's truth out there and we know there's people lying to us and we're trying to weed through it all. And we just have different methods of testing those spirits. So we come to different conclusions.
0: Wow. Yeah. It's kind of like the human quantum mechanics. We We try all these different angles stepping back to like uh sleep paralysis we are during our sleep paralyzed anyway so it's not odd I mean we wake up a little bit early we are we just probably are waking up we're groggy and and we're paralyzed for a reason right so we don't get up and yep. walk into the road or get hit by a truck so yep. but the thing about that is that's our most vulnerable so it's yes. probably the best time for these I mean I don't think jesus will come knocking at that point you're sleeping <laughs> and you're paralyzed the the dark entities all all rules are off right so that seems to be a, a prime time to get people.
2: Yeah, absolutely. They are capitalizing on opportune timing. So if we don't understand, hey, I'm already paralyzed to some degree during various REM sleep stages, as well as those little windows of hypnagogic and hypnopopic altered states of consciousness right as we're falling asleep and right as we're waking. And we're falling asleep and waking up way more times in the middle of the night than we think. It's not just we fall asleep and we wake up in the morning or we fall asleep and we get up and go to the bathroom one time and then we get up in the morning. Anybody who's ever fallen asleep with like a a Fitbit or some sort of a fitness tracker, Uh, You look at those stats the next morning and you, you wake up 20 to 30 times a night, but just briefly, you know, and so the spirit realm has 20 to 30 opportunities a night to catch us off guard. And if you are helpless in your bedroom and you're disoriented and you don't know if you're awake or you're asleep and you're seeing things that you've never seen before and your brain doesn't have a category for them, and especially if these things are acting sinister, If in addition to all of that, you think the reason you can't move is because they have some sort of hold on you, it's going to give you the impression that they have power over you. And it's very clever because the fact of the matter is, as we've already discussed, these things are 50% human. They're made of some of the same junk we are. That's why we have authority over them. And Some people know that, some people don't. And so anything that they can do to keep you in a disoriented state of believing that they have all the cards and that they have the power to keep you there paralyzed, it just gives them a perception of having more power than they actually have.
0: Now, I've heard you discuss that there's two types of sleep paralysis. It's almost like it's generational. There is the traditional, which is people like my age or probably the boomers or maybe around that area. And then there's the Gen Z or the younger ones have like a 2.0. They have a different type of experience. Could you go into that a little bit?
2: Yep, absolutely. I have just begun exploring this because it's something that came out after the book came out and more people were contacting me. The Gen Xers, of which I am one, and the baby boomers that contact me are all resonating word for word of the sleep paralysis that I experienced and that I'm writing about in the book. It's the shadow people and the glowing red eyes and, you know, the old hag and and that sort of thing. The younger people, millennials are kind of a bridge. There's millennials that have experienced the classic as well as the new, and then you've got the Gen Zs. So my take on this is that we've had a massive cultural shift because of technology, you know, the Gen Zers, have never lived in a world that wasn't filled with technology. They, they've had the internet and the cell phone and the smartphone, and the, they've had all that their whole life. Whereas the Gen Xers and the baby boomers, we have still have a connection to the way the world used to be. We lived in the old world. And so with the people that didn't live in the old world, There was a certain resilience that Gen Xers and baby boomers have simply because we didn't have as many choices or options as the younger generations do. When we were kids, if we didn't like what was on our plate or we didn't want to go to school or whatever, we had no choice. You did what you were told. You didn't argue. And so we were sort of groomed to never complain or voice anything uncomfortable or bad. We we were a little bit more cards to the vest when it came to vulnerabilities and things. And not to mention the fact that we lived in an era where if you started talking openly about this kind of stuff, you'd be brought to a, a psychiatrist, to a hospital, you'd be medicated, you probably would get diagnosed schizophrenic. And so people were not going to readily talk about it. But we also had a life where if things got really difficult you just soldiered through it. Part of this was, I mean, I grew up with a grandpa who talked about bomber missions over Germany, you know, and and being in war. And my dad was in Vietnam. And when you're raised by a bunch of guys that are dodging bullets and limping the rest of their life and in wheelchairs and dealing with PTSD, there's just this tougher shell. So when something like sleep paralysis happens, you're like, well, you know, you just you soldier on. And I don't think that the younger generation has inherited that necessarily. They have the luxury and the freedom of voicing how they feel and expressing their emotions. And they get to stand up and lay boundaries where we didn't get to. Hey, this isn't fair. Hey, I don't like this. I don't like the way I'm being treated. And they also have the they have a huge weapon. Well, the the greatest weapon that the enemy has is is secrecy. And you you show yourself to a Gen Zer, you're going to be all over TikTok the next day. It, it it would blow wide open. And so what's happening now is there's been a shift that in our generation these things got to us with vinegar and with the younger generation they're getting to them with the honey, right? It's the proverbial catching them with with honey instead of vinegar. So what they're getting is more of a high-tech, quantum, sci-fi experience. And so instead of being dragged into the astral realm and tormented and frightened, they are being invited into the astral realm, which is a metaverse, or they get to reality shift, and they get to go to the area of their choice, and they can go to the Harry Potter universe or the Marvel comic universe or the Star Wars universe and they can be a hero. And it's almost like a virtual reality game for them. And so they wake up, instead of being terrified, they wake up feeling like they've just been in a kind of a paradise. And so they're getting lured in by the same nefarious entities with the same agenda and the same motives, but they're getting lured in with the honey. And so I think it's harder for the younger generation to detect the motives of these things, because they're getting lured in with a lot more perks and benefits than, than the older generations got.
0: It's funny. As you're talking about that, I could, I could see a hey, Gen Z are complaining about microaggressions to a demon or something, you know, <laughs> yep, <laughs> know. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and complaining about it, but do they wake up and are they paralyzed too, though? I mean, after this wonderful kind of astral travel thing, do they experience what, you know, us old timers or meal timers do of being paralyzed and not being able to move and seeing this horrific thing looking at me and getting the chills or do they have like a bad ending to their
2: yes and no now I will admit that most of the people that talk to me because they're resonating with the kind of sleep paralysis that I'm talking about most of the people that contact me and want to talk to me about their experience are the older people but the the younger people that I know who I have talked to they all talk about this this more metaverse sort of an experience. But what I will tell you is there's always an underbelly to this. And what's unpredictable is how quickly, how quickly is the honeymoon going to be over when you start delving into this? And even in our era, when people would play with Ouija boards, they'd have a couple fun experiences and all of a sudden it got dark, right? And so what we're seeing a lot when people talk even about reality shifting or ayahuasca. These are the two main ones. If you go onto TikTok and you start watching some of the videos of the shifters, you know these younger people that are doing the reality shifting, reality shifting is the same thing as lucid dreaming. They just get a cooler name. It's the same thing. But they will tell you flat out, these reality shifters will tell you, you have to know what you're doing. You have to be careful. You can't overdo it. You have to know the rules. You have to play by the rules. And they, similar to our generation where It was equated that you were schizophrenic if you have these experiences. Reality shifters are starting to understand that if this is done incorrectly or disrespectfully or the rules aren't kept, that a lot of people that are dabbling with the shifting and the ayahuasca are starting to have symptoms that mimic mental illnesses.
0: Is the metaverse really a dark land to go to that we're being lured into or the younger people being lured into?
2: Yeah, no, they're absolutely being lulled there. And the movies are grooming, grooming them as well as, as social media. It's all over TikTok and some of these other, uh, I think it's like a billion plus hashtag now, this reality shifting thing. And what's sad about it is what I was saying about the underbelly is eventually you can only It's kind of like, you know, on the streets, your first hits free, right? Yeah.
0: yeah.
2: Um, Your first hits free. And what I always tell people is the reason why some people never want to do it ever again after they try it one time, whereas other people can not figure out for 5, 10, 15, 20 years, like, oh crap, I really shouldn't have dabbled with that is because it really is about how useful you are to these entities, because there are people out there who are extremely creative intelligent. uh, There's influencers out there who are articulate. And if they get a hold of one of those people and they can be a spokesperson and they can get on social media or they can write a book or they can teach a college course someday when they graduate, those people are useful. Their their skills are useful. So they're not necessarily going to figure out right away that these beautiful angelic creatures or these ascended masters or these spirit guides, they're not necessarily going to find out right away what's behind the mask. But if you're not useful to them, they'll unmask themselves much more quickly if you're not useful to them.
0: And is it too simplistic to say the metaverse, it almost extends the night, right? Because in the night you're in this dream yes. state and, and yes. now during the yes. day you're in this you know virtual world, which is kind of like a conscious dream state, they would be access there, I guess, potentially, right?
2: Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's very clever. And I think what's going on and I don't know if the tech is there yet. It probably is, but I don't know that it's been unleashed to the public yet, but where we're going with the metaverse and the, all this um, quantum stuff and virtual reality and augmented reality. And now they're starting and transhumanism.
0: To, <laughs> yep, right? I trans, yeah,
2: absolutely. Yeah. And just the, the DMT and, there's clinics out on the West Coast now where you can, it's like total recall. You can get a slow drip DMT under the supervision of professionals, and you can trip as long as a week now. Wow. And so, yeah. So, where I think we're going with this is this is where I think they're grooming us. They're, they're, they're letting this little breadcrumb trail. Everybody right now just thinks it's entertainment. It's just fun it's just a little escape it's just uh it feels good or it's a spiritual experience or it's healthy you're going to heal past wounds and things like that, that that's kind of how it's being marketed now but what's really going on is it's a reverse of hermon so when when the 200 washers came down mount hermon they left their first estate And the flood, and if you read the Book of Enoch narrative where Azazel was put into the pit and is bound in chains until the end and all of that, they were punished because they left their first estate and they shared the mysteries of heaven. They gave knowledge and enlightenment to mankind that was not supposed to be shared with mankind. So they know now, we better not do that again because we know what our fate will be. So. Rather than just giving up, they still have the same agenda that they did in the days of Noah. But now they have to get us to come to them because they know if they come to us, they're in trouble. And so it's the same thing. They're sharing the mysteries of heaven. They're sharing forbidden knowledge and enlightenment with human beings. But now they feel that they're not culpable because we're coming to them. We're leaving our first estate and we're we're going to their territory So it's it's kind of like the loophole, but it's the same agenda as when the Watchers came down. They're just now getting us to come up instead.
0: Yeah. So the bottom line sounds like they're putting out the trap where people feel like they're God, right? Because they can do all these capabilities beyond what they had before. So I I wanted to touch on on two things. I know we're getting kind of late into it. This is incredibly interesting. I just, one thing you mentioned before was that there's Beyond what we mentioned with the dark entities, there's another type of controlled sleep paralysis and that's military controlled yes. sleep paralysis. And yes. I think you also mentioned that could be geared to military families. And then there's always the families that are the original bloodlines that are involved yes. somehow or controlled. Can you just touch on that? And th- then I want to close by kind of going over your book and kind of the chapters and how it's set up and where they can get it, okay?
2: Sure, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so the militarized version of it Robert Monroe, and I do talk a little bit about Robert Monroe in the book. Robert Monroe was a guy who started his career in broadcasting and he started doing some sleep experiments that originally had a very altruistic purpose to it. They were trying to like, it was some sort of experiment where they were trying to heal something. I don't know. But in his quest to do these sleep experiments, he started astral projecting and so he became fascinated with this, in fact, obsessed with this. And in his writings, and he he he's now passed away, but the Monroe Institute still exists. He developed something called the HemiSync sync technology, it's brain entrainment. And so what he figured out was that the, the left and the right hemispheres of the brain kind of buzz at different frequencies. But if you play an indiscernible tritone using a headset, that that tritone will balance out the hemispheres of the brain and cause them to hum at the same frequency. And when the left and the right brain are entrained to the same frequency, it opens up that veil and it makes us open and susceptible to these spiritual experiences and communications similar to DMT or psychedelics, etc. So what ended up happening, this was declassified For quite a while, but it is declassified now and you can find the documents on on the web quite easily is Robert Monroe was hired by uh, the US Army and he went in in the 1980s and he started teaching the military how to astral project and to use it. In a militarized setting where um, the occult has known about this for a very, very long time, witches and and warlocks, they they know how to astral project into someone's room or into someone's dreams. And so they were militarizing this. Now, they didn't want to call it astral projection. This is in the declassified documents. They didn't want to call it astral projection because there was too many spiritual connotations to that. So they coined the phrase remote viewing, but it's the same thing. (laughs) It's the same thing. Yep. And so this is how it is militarized. And every aspect of the sleep paralysis experience has been recreated in a lab. And this is kind of one of those, which came first, the chicken and the egg, because I can see this working on both ends. If every one of the aspects of sleep paralysis can be recreated in a lab, it could be a way of gaslighting the people that have it. Well, hey, that's just voice to skull technology or hey, you just sleep with your cell phone too close to you or you know whatever. but it can also be used against us the other way, and that is that they can now create these sleep paralysis experiences where, where these demonic entities used to, you know, it's kind of like the the demonic entities have retired and and they've delegated all the hard work to the humans and now they get to retire. Uh, Right.
0: (laughs) Wow. (laughs) What, but what about the bloodlines? You know, is, I, I heard you talk about the original bloodlines. I'm interested. Is there some angle with, with uh, sleep paralysis and the original bloodlines, or am I just off on that? I'm, I'm sorry. I thought I heard you mention that in somewhere.
2: Yeah. Yep. So by way of the people that get targeted for lifelong sleep paralysis, because I do believe that sleep paralysis is a type of a grooming. I've talked to many people who have had it their whole life, and it can be for different purposes. Some are getting groomed to be spokespeople for the New Age or for theosophy. Some are being taught the various aspects of the religion and culture of the astral realm so that they can normalize it down here on Earth and prepare us for, you know, their coming kingdom when they take over, right? And so they are looking for teachers and people that they can use to it, it's basically they're they're trying to build up a sales and marketing wing right and so mm. this is why you've got the hp lovecrafts and the helena blavatsky's and the frank bombs and you know you name it there's all sorts of uh people in religion philosophy science medicine literature art in fact a lot of the 19th and 20th century influencers that are still impacting our society to this day. Galen, the super surgeon of the second century, a lot of that stuff is still being taught as as wrote to our current generation. And these were card carrying theos- theosophists, and they were out of the closet astral projectors who said that they had spirit guides and that they had gurus. And uh, Blavatsky talked openly about the Chinese ascended master that Every word she wrote in, in her books was just dictated by these astral entities. And so that's not a secret. Uh, that's not conspiracy. That's just out on the web for anyone to read. And so when we talk about who these people are targeting, they're targeting people that have a certain proclivity towards empathy, creativity, intelligence, and you can be from a certain bloodline because they want to carry on their own bloodline. And so, one of the things that I'm finding a lot of people who have had sleep paralysis their whole life, one of the common things is trauma. And I think that this is twofold. We know this even from the, the occult, and we know this from the military with like MK Ultra. We know that mind control and grooming. A lot of times it can be trauma based, trauma based mind control, and the mm-hmm. occult uses that as well with uh, satanic ritual abuse, et cetera, et cetera. But another thing, the flip side of the trauma is that people who have been through a lot of trauma tend to be very gifted. They tend to be very empathetic. They tend to be very resilient. They tend to to be creative. And they have a lot of the skill set that these beings and entities and people involved in the agenda need to carry on on the work. And so I have to ask a
0: question, if you don't mind. You know, um, you you sound like all those you have all those great characteristics, but you are you know, you're you're dealing with this, but you're kind of doing the anti thing. You're kind of educating people against it. So. How does that work for you? Or do you get any any blowback from the other side on that? Or what's that been like?
2: I've been waiting for the blowback. And here's the thing. You know, the trauma that I went through, I had surgeries from the 10 days old was my first surgery. I had exploratory brain surgery at 10 days old. I was born with a birth defect. I was in the hospital for the first 15 years of my life. Every summer vacation, I was in a hospital. I had 30 reconstructive surgeries on my face. And so... But what what that did for me, you know, yeah, it sucked at the time. But what it did for me is it created an absolute resilience in me. Yeah, And you know what, when you get bullied for 18 years by every single person in school, when you get a little comment on the web, like you're crazy or oh, she's a Jesus freak. It it means like nothing (laughs) because, you know, you really do build up a resilience and a little bit too of dissociation in the sense that you do in order to not have to feel the full brunt of every remark you do have a, a a way of being able to disassociate with it which is another thing that i think is is common with a lot of people who have gone through trauma and what makes them more resilient is they do kind of get to the point where they decide i'm going to live according to my creed and my beliefs And I'm not going to compromise. And if someone doesn't like me or I lose a friend or someone makes fun of me or someone eventually wants to kill me, so that, you know, you just, you don't really even care at that point. (laughs) You just, you're on a, you're on a mission. You're like, I never would have written a book on this. I, I didn't have a desire to write a book on this. The deciding factor is up until I was about 34, 35 years old, I believed that I was the only person going through this. And when I found out that this thing actually had a name, Sleep Paralysis, and I went online and I found message boards where hundreds and hundreds of people were talking about this. When I realized that other people were going through this, that is why I decided to write the book. So the naysayers or the people who've never experienced it or the people who don't believe it's real, they're not, they're not my audience, but the audience that That is my audience, they're finding me and they're being comforted and they're being healed and they're getting answers. And so, if I can help other people or be there for other people, I really don't care how many naysayers there are.
0: Speaking of that, a good transition to the end is the book. What are the main questions that you think you address? Because if people are going through this, they're going to want to know what is it? Why is it happening to me? How can I make it stop? So, do you mind just covering at a very high level? how you constructed the book and how you think it might help
2: people? I will just kind of quickly read through the chapters so that everyone kind of knows what's in there. From the table of contents, uh, sleep paralysis, a brief introduction. Chapter two is medicine versus mysticism and the cult of Asclepius. Chapter three is theosophy and the theory of transformation. Uh, Chapter four is threshold covenants and astral vampires. Chapter now, that's five. a big
0: one. Chapter four is a big one, because I heard it you is. mention that another one. It ties together your biblical research with the supernatural, with what goes on, and the spiritual symbolism that's going on there, right? So it, it explains yep. that connection clearly for people. Okay, I, yep. I do want to gloss over that. Okay, thanks.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Fifth chapter, the clouds of heaven and Merkava mysticism. And then the last chapter, which is kind of like the the meat and potatoes for the people who are suffering from it, is The Adversary's Endgame and Your Way Out of the Astral Matrix. And that chapter delves into who primarily gets targeted, why, and what can I do before, during, and after these episodes? Is there a way out of this? How do I get out of this? And the the book is peppered with all sorts of case studies, real accounts from people who have had these experiences. So you can kind of get an overview of uh, the different experiences. There's also an entire appendix section uh, with just multiple stories from people. There's some prayer mapping exercises in the back and some some just information at the end there for some activities you can kind of do to sniff out the source of why am I having this? Why am I vulnerable? Where's the open door in my life? And I do at the end of every chapter, I have just some bullet points and a cleansing prayer. This stuff is really serious, Robert. And this is the kind of thing I tell people, if you don't suffer from this and you've never had this issue, you even have to be careful in how you research it because intrigue can also be an open door. And if all of a sudden you start developing this unhealthy intrigue and you start thinking things like, Oh man, I kind of would like to know what that feels like.
0: Not, gonna- not me, Becky Joy, not me. That's why I do the <laughs> podcast versus going out in the field. And but yeah, I, I get yeah. I totally understand.
2: Yeah, yeah. It, you have to really be careful. And even for the people who who do have this experience, and I, I have people who contact me who are survivors of ritual abuse and things like that. And so the ending of each chapter is a anti triggering activity, hopefully, because I I really don't want people to read this because it's titillating and it is titillating. We do like, we are fascinated by these things, but the, the goal of this is to unmask these scoundrels and not be duped by them, not to just get chill bumps and tell ghost stories.
0: Yeah. Well, that sounds great. I mean, thank you for doing this. And I I do want you to, we talked before we went on, I, I want you to check out the documentary, The Nightmare and send me an email, what you think about it. If, you know, it'd be kind of cool. We could even talk Definitely. about it, maybe at a, a future one. Let's close with, I mean, I'll have this in the show notes, but let's close with where they can buy the book and what's your website and how they can contact you if you want them to contact you, if, if they have some strange stories to, to share.
2: Yep, absolutely. Thank you. So the book, they only come out at night can be found at lamarzuli.net. If you go to my website, you can also click on the book there and it'll take you directly to, to his website. But okay. Vickyjoyanderson.com is my website. There is a contact page on there. I answer every email that comes to me. If people want to set up a phone call, I do do um, our phone calls with people who are, I, I don't do phone calls with people that just want to Tell their story, but if someone is actually in in need of counsel, uh, it's more of like a counsel opportunity. And uh, you can find me on Instagram at Vicky Joy Author. That's awesome.
0: Well, thank you so much for your time tonight. I, look, it could always be hours talking about this stuff, and we go down different levels. But I think you covered a lot of good ground tonight, and I really appreciate having you on.
2: Thanks, Robert. Anytime.
0: Been listening to the Afraid of Nothing Podcast. Please subscribe and like us on Facebook. Until next time, stay scared. Hey, you're still here? Great. Then why not listen to another episode? Visit Afraid of Nothing to peruse all the shows. That's Afraid of Nothing podcast.com. And while you're there, Click the coffee cup icon to buy me a coffee and leave a review. I'll give you a shout out in an upcoming episode. And the world will know how swell you are.